Welcome back to the Evangelion podcast, where we dive deep into the logistics, methods, hardships, but even more so, the good, beautiful, and powerful side of evangelism here in America and around the world. All right, well, welcome back to the Evangelion podcast. I have the honor and privilege of having Michael Miller with me today. Michael, would you do me a favor, honestly, because we just got to know each other a little bit, but just to introduce yourself and who you are and a little bit about what you do. Yeah, sure. So um, uh, my name is Michael Miller, obviously. I'm from originally from Dallas, Texas. I uh, grew up in a... Um, I'm a, did you want some of the testimony as well, or just yeah, a little sure. bit about yeah, me? Okay, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm a pastor in Denver, Colorado. I have a church called Reclamation Church. Um, but my introduction to the faith happened when I was around 15 years old. Uh, I had a buddy that I used to to used to get drunk with, and uh, he gave me a Bible after becoming a Christian on a, a weekend choir trip. And so, you know, I I had never read a Bible. I actually thought the Bible was a book of like ancient spells. And so okay, when he wow. gave it to me, um, I didn't know what to expect of it, but I thought, oh, this might be cool. And so mm. I would hide it in my desk because I was a little scared of what my mom would think. And when everybody else would go to bed, I'd get it out and I'd start reading it. And so it was one of those Bibles that just had the the Psalms and the Proverbs and the New Testament. I, I didn't even know there was an Old Testament. Like I, I had to, somebody had to tell me like, oh, you're missing half of the book. And I was like, oh, <laughs> didn't even know that. Wow. Um, and so uh, my, my upbringing was a little bit, confusing. My, my, my mom's Jewish and my dad was Mormon. And so, wow. uh, needless to say, I didn't know much of anything. I am what you would call a spiritual mutt. And mm, so, okay. and, and by and large, even our Jewishness was largely cultural than it was any sort of, um, you know, uh, Orthodox Judea's Judea, Judaic mm-hmm. belief system. It was just you know, we ate a lot of matzah and bagels. Uh, <laughs> and I would go to synagogue with my grandparents on high holidays, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, and that was about it. And even then, I didn't really know what I was there for. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, yeah, my introduction to the faith was really somebody handing me a Bible and me reading it. And so I would read mm-hmm. through the gospel of Matthew because I, I found it fascinating. Uh, and then I would memorize Psalms, uh, just random ones that he, my, wow. my buddy had written out for me. Uh and that was largely because I thought, well, that that might impress, you know, the ladies. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea how much that those scriptures would come in handy later in life, but that was that was my motivation for uh, memorizing scripture. Um, and so I, I would also start going to a little evangelical Bible church in Dallas, Texas called uh, Fellowship Bible. It's not the big fellowship that you would hear about. The church doesn't okay, even exist yeah. today, um, but it was a healthy little community. Um, I had a, one of the elders who would be a part of the youth group. And that's where I spent the majority of my time. That's where I made most of my friends. Um, and, and then eventually we get discipled up in an organization called Young Life, which was a uh, parachurch ministry geared towards winning a hearing for the gospel to the kids that don't go to church. Hmm. And so I uh, was discipled by my Young Life leader um, all throughout high school and would memorize scripture together, read Christian books together, do a weekly Bible study together. I mean, hmm. it was pretty heavily invested in uh, by that Young Life leader, which I'm indebted to today. Um, wow. And then... I went off to college and became a young life guy myself, uh, leading others to Christ and discipling young men who didn't wouldn't go to church, but now suddenly would because they've come to Christ, teaching them what it looked like to follow Jesus and, and to adhere to his teachings. And then uh, about my senior year, I would have sort of a challenge come to um, 
I guess you could say the way that I did ministry. Um, okay. And evangelism, and it was, it was a largely a question of, uh, does God do miracles today? And if so, what part should that play in evangelism? So I was uh, at Texas A and M, had a school of about four thousand students or three thousand students that I was uh, overseeing the Young Life program for, and my way of evangelism that I had always known was relational, right? Like kids don't care about what you know until they know that you care, and so yeah. you would build a relationship with the hopes of winning a hearing for the gospel, but that may never happen. And then I would read about, you know, Peter and John coming up to the temple to pray and they see a paralyzed guy and they heal the paralyzed guy. And the guy, like, because of that miracle, said, I think 4,000 came to believe in Jesus in one day. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, why not at Bryan High School? You know, hmm. why not a miracle that could cause that to happen? And so that, that caused me to, to start to question my methodology when it comes to sharing the gospel. And uh, that would eventually lead to an experience with God that was pretty um, life-altering, as well as a relationship with a former Dallas Theological Seminary professor named Jack Deere. Uh, he okay. had written a book called Surprised by the Power of the Spirit. And um, this guy, he could speak my language. Like he was a young life guy. He was brilliant. You know, he's a professor of seminary, uh, Dallas Theological. So, and he wasn't just a professor. I mean, like when it comes to knowing Greek and Hebrew and teaching Greek and Hebrew, he was one of the leading authorities on Greek and Hebrew. Wow. Knows something like 17 languages, most of them ancient Semitic. And so, and yet here he is, uh, and he has written a book about the power of the spirit to perform miracles, uh, uh, prophecies, um, yeah. knowledge that's supernatural, uh, you know, those kind of things. And so, uh, whereas before all I had known was what I would see on TV with some of the, mm -hmm. the crazier charismatics out there and, um, which was a package I just couldn't get behind. And I, you know, I, I'd always kind of like had my suspicion that these guys are all charlatans <laughs> and, and that yeah. kind of thing. And so to have the convo with Jack Deere and to read his book, it was like, wow, okay, this is somebody who can speak my language. And so, uh, eventually, um, I had no idea that Jack was pastoring a church in, in Fort Worth, Texas, but I was wow. living in Dallas overseeing a young life after college in Dallas. And next thing I know, I'm commuting to his church and, uh, and then he's discipling me. And so I take a job as an intern with him. Uh, and then he would take me on trips where he would teach about these things. And, uh, he would throw me up on a stage to demonstrate. So, <laughs> which is kind of a crazy little adventure. So that's kind of, wow. uh, what got me into pastoral ministry, but then also, yeah. uh, really exposed to, to what exactly it is that God is doing when it comes to the gifts of the spirit. Um, mm. And, and a good solid theological foundation as well. I mean, he would take us through Grudem's systematic theology and we would come to him presenting our arguments and he would just tear them apart and cause us to, which was really less about learning the doctrines as much as it was getting us to think critically about how we were reading the scriptures and how we were developing arguments. And so it was absolutely invaluable um, and very much set me up on the trajectory uh, for where I'm at today. Uh, a lot of what I do outside of pastoring a church and church planting is um, traveling and speaking and training on the gifts of the spirit. So um, yeah, yeah, I'll be at in Tucson, Arizona this next weekend. I'll be at Harvard oh, the weekend following. And then I go to Germany mid-March and wow, uh, Princeton Germany. or April and Oklahoma and just all over. So uh, wow. I've done a horrible job of updating my website for anybody who's interested. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, hopefully we'll get that taken care of at some point soon. So wow. that kind of so gives awesome. you a little bit there. Yeah, that is so cool. Wow. Just like 
that one instance in high school and just meeting that one guy and now you're on a whole new trajectory. Right. That is so cool. Wow. Um, so yeah. And at yeah. the end of the day, like I'm very much a church guy. Like that's mm-hmm. probably where I spend the majority of my time. Uh, my hope is to just raise up a healthy community, much mm-hmm. like the one I was a part of in high school. Um, so wow. that's, that's been it. And so I'm doing that yeah. in Denver. So not too far from you, just an hour away yeah. from you that's there so cool. in the Springs. Yeah. So how did you get to Denver? How, how did Denver pop up for you? Mm. Believe it or not, I actually moved to Colorado three different times now. Really? Uh, as a college student, I started off mm-hmm. going to University of Northern Colorado. I spent one okay. semester. I wanted to go. <laughs> I knew I was going to go like ministry long term was the plan for me. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to go to a Christian school. My Jewish mother said no. Uh, she wanted me to go to somewhere that was accredited. And so after transferring home from Colorado, I ended up uh, going to community college for about a semester and then ended up at Texas A&M. Okay, and then later yeah. on, uh, I planted a church in Dallas um, and, and they had me help plant a church in Denver. And then I moved back to Dallas to help plant another church. And then I left that organization in February 2019, uh, okay. knowing that I, I missed my home in Colorado. My wife and I mm-hmm. just wanted to get back and pretty much start all over um, by planting a new community up here. So we've been doing that now. Wow. We, we moved in 2020, right before COVID struck. So oh, it was yeah. like we had, timing. <laughs> we had three meetings for my community, this new little small group home church wow. and uh, had to shut it down three weeks in. And so now we're, we're two years Ooh. in and we're doing quite well. And I'm very thankful for the little little family that's formed and very yeah. much love these people and very thankful to be their pastor. Wow, that is so awesome. Michael, if you were to give a State of the Union address, kind of where we're talking about gifts of the Spirit and modern day gifts of the Spirit, really, what would you say your State of the Spiritual Gifts realm is right now in modern day times? Yeah, so... Uh, I guess what you're asking is like, what's the, what's the pulse in America when it comes to yeah, the gifts of the spirit? Yeah, the pulse American in America, church. yeah. Um, I, I would say you, you see a pretty large, um, you know, it, it used to be much more controversial where people were split down the middle, like either you believe in the gifts or you mm-hmm. don't. Um, and I think the demographic has changed. I think as we've entered into post-modernity uh, and actually a post-church age, um, yeah, almost. Yeah, gifts of the spirit are, are far less controversial today. I'd say cessationism as a, a doctrine that the the gifts of the spirit have ceased after the apostles and those who mm-hmm. laid their hands on that doctrine is dying. Um, and I think it's it's largely because we're we're starting to see an increase in in darkness just in general in our country, an increase in occult practice, an increase in new age practice, an increase in idolatry. Um, an increase increase in secularism, um, mm-hmm. just as a, a a general, and so with that, I would say the the debate itself is just not worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what you what you have today is you've got a large chunk of those who would say that they believe in the gifts, but they probably fall into more of a Pentecostal persuasion, yeah. which. You know, and not that I just not that I agree with this perspective, but for many people that would see that as an uneducated, uh, you know, biblically illiterate um, denomination, which I again disagree with. There's some really amazing scholars that are Pentecostal today, um, and that, I think that uh, honestly is rooted in a bit of you know uh, early American racism. 
sounds bad, but you know, when Azusa street happened and there was this sort of resurgence of the gifts of the spirit, specifically tongues, um, you know, it was, it was dismissed by most of the evangelical or liturgical churches here in America because it was a uh, largely black population. And so, uh, which is just awful to think about, but that is some of the the history of, of the charismatic giftings here in this country. Um, That's shifted as well. In the 1950s, you saw another sort of resurgence of charismatic Christianity, but it was largely television and tent revival, uh, Oral Roberts, Jack Coe, Allen. And then in the 80s, late 70s, you saw another resurgence of it, but this time it was the evangelicals. Oh, and I miss the liturgicals. They came in in 1960s, 1970s, started embracing the gifts. And then in the 1980s, through the Vineyard Movement in particular, the evangelicals, Fuller Seminary, uh, they started embracing the gifts. So, um, And then you've got guys like my mentor who wrote, I would say, the biggest rebuttal against cessationism through that book, Surprised by the Power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's caused evangelicals to go, well, you know what? We've, now we've got scholars that are actually saying these gifts are for today. I think the the where we're at today, though, is you've got a large chunk of it that's Pentecostal, believes this stuff, but they they sort of rely on the celebrity pastor to come in before they can see this stuff happen. They're not. It's not widespread when it comes to the gifts. And then you've got the evangelical church that claims to be a continuist and that they believe that the gifts have continued. But uh, uh, in a lot of ways, their their approach to the gifts has been passive, mm. except for when it comes to the gift of teaching or the gift of evangelism. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like they, they actively agree, yeah, we have to share the gospel in order to mm. see the gift of evangelism effective. Um, yeah. But they don't have the same approach to the gift of healing, the gift of prophecy. Mm-hmm. They sort of wait for God to sovereignly step down and do those things. And so effectively, they're, they're cessationists uh, in practice. Um, and I think that's shifting. I think there's some major leaders in the church today here in the West, guys like Matt Chandler, who've been taking a very public stance. And, and Matt Chandler's, you know, leader of the Acts 29 network, a reformed, uh, biblically serious, scholarly uh Uh, not denomination, but network that's evangelical. And Matt has taken a public stance to embrace the gifts. And so with that, um, uh, his church is actually practicing those gifts. And I've actually gotten to be a part of some of the training that they've done at their church, which has been just a huge privilege. Um, So, uh, and I think, I think we're also seeing the, the, the evangelical church, at least, is starting to see the absolute necessity of those gifts. Um, If we want to reach our, uh, our evangelical, or sorry, our, our Western uh, non-believers, mm-hmm. um, trying to give them an apologetic argument just doesn't cut it. Post-modernity yeah. doesn't care about apologetics. Wow. Post-modernity cares about an experience of God. Mm-hmm. And that's where the gifts are vital. Um, you know, silver and gold have we none, but a persuasive yeah. speech I give to you. That's not what he did. <laughs> but he healed the man and the man had no nothing to argue at that point belief was the only option and everybody who saw what happened they believed as well and so i think that's where we're we're, we're coming to in post-modernity is we're, we're at this point where we're not interested in arguments i mean you think about it truth today is so relative and truth today and not that i agree with that but that's sort of the mm-hmm. perception yeah. uh, truth today is is uh, I mean, let, let's just take the COVID thing, for instance, and vaccines and all that. There's so much information out there that nobody knows what to believe. Yeah, that's true. But an experience with the power of God is not something you would deny. That 
that gets past your reasoning. It gets past all the logic you have and arguments that you have for one direction or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think yeah. that's really what's going to reach, um, reach. And I think that's exactly what Jesus gave us. He gave us these gifts because it opens the doors for evangelism. You know, Paul Ooh. performs a miracle miracle in uh, the ancient world and all of Lydia and Sharon come to faith in Jesus because mm-hmm. of one miracle. Yeah. Um, I think the same thing can be said today. Uh, I think we're, we're going to see more of that uh, and the church embracing the gifts of the spirit specifically because of its impact and its its ability to open the doors for the gospel. Uh, yeah, prophecy undin- in particular. It, yeah, it can't be denied. Yeah. No, yeah, no. Absolutely. Uh, prophecy in particular. You see this happen with the woman at the well, right? How did mm. Jesus know she had five husbands? How did Jesus know that the man she's with now is not her husband? And what was her response? Well, she went back to Samaria and said, hey, come and meet the man who told me everything about my life. Mm-hmm. Like the door for, for the gospel to reach the Samaritans just blew open because Jesus had supernatural knowledge about this woman's uh, history and her sin. Mm-hmm. And so I would say the same thing is true today. Um, and, and that the evangelical world, while they don't know how to practice these things in a way that's not uh, what they've seen with the abuses of the Pentecostal movement or the latter rain movement, the televangelists, yeah. um, they are asking those questions. What does it look like for us to practice this way without embracing the abuses of our past? Mm, that's good. Sorry, it's a so, long, that's a yeah. long answer to a question you no, asked. That's, so. that's amazing. Yeah, no, I loved everything you said. So something that you said kind of sparked an idea like, do you think that an Eastern mindset versus a Western mindset, they think about gifts of the spirit completely differently, or is it that post-modernity that they're still thinking about? What's the um, pulse from like an Eastern perspective? Uh, well, the Eastern world doesn't have the, the same approach, right? The mm. Eastern world hasn't been uh, as infected. And I say that word intentionally mm. yeah. Uh, yeah. by the French enlightenment and Western rationalism. Mm. Yeah. So when it comes to a departure from this idea that the gifts are for today, that was never an issue. Um, they, they haven't been uh, influenced as highly by guys like Hume, who basically says you, you can't believe anything than what the scientific method can prove for you. Um, yeah. And so they're, I mean, you go to China and ask them if they believe in evil spirits. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. carte blanche accepted. That's not a question in their mind. Uh, you go to Africa, you know, let's say, let's say you're diagnosed or let's say you get sick, you're throwing up Mm -hmm. and you're an African, the immediate, uh, assumption as to why you're sick is going to be one of two things. They're going to immediately go, well, I've been cursed. Yeah. Right. That that's what they think. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now we in the West would go, well, you've either got, we're very digital. Yeah. Yeah. You've got either a bacterial infection or a viral infection. And if so, you know, if it's bacterial, well, we can give you a a treatment, an antibiotic to deal with it. If it's viral, you just got to wait this thing out and we can treat your symptoms, but we can't actually get rid of the virus. Your body has to fight Mm. that on its own. And so that's that very different worldviews. There are very different approaches and underlying assumptions about the way that the world operates. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas I would say the truth is it could be a curse by some witch doctor uh, or it could be bacterial (laughs) or it could be viral. Or it could be a combination of both. And so the prescription would be, a, you know, one of the different <laughs> ways of approaching it. Um, you know, it's something that, that the average Westerner is not accustomed to is, is having a person manifest an evil spirit. Um, mm. But that's because Westerners have been taught to ignore what seems spiritually malif- uh, malicious. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so you, they don't really have eyes to even see it. Whereas, mm-hmm. I mean, I had a, a lady three weeks ago 
manifesting an evil spirit. Uh, literally mm. voices speaking out of her. This was not her. Um, and so, and, and I'm not just seeing that in the Eastern world. I'm actually seeing it here in the United States. Yeah, it's The devil has That's done right a, a really good job of hiding, hiding behind our rationalism mm -hmm. and our skepticism and causing wow. us to dismiss things that might actually be an evil spirit as, oh, you just have a, a mental disorder. Mm -hmm. Wow. So it seems like we're almost blocked by our Western worldview in a lot of ways in the gifts of the spirit. What are some of the first steps that you would tell me as a skeptic or maybe just unexperienced in the field where I can dip my toe or just to get started in the gifts of the spirit? Uh, I mean, the fact is we all came by this honestly. Um, for me, when I first started embracing this stuff, I would say I was hugely skeptical. Uh, and I think the, the part of me that was that was skeptical was because I didn't want to be duped. Yeah. I didn't want to be fooled by what I've seen on TV and think that that's the way things are now. Like I, I just, I wanted to know the actual truth, but because of our Western rationalism and how much American Christianity has been infected by that, the, the, the enlightenment, there yeah. tends to be this, well, we can't prove it scientifically, but mm. we have an inconsistency when it comes to our ability to arrive at truth. In the yeah. Western world, we don't mind believing that the scriptures teach that Jesus died on a cross for our sins and that he rose from mm -hmm. the dead. We don't mind believing that he was actually birthed by a virgin. Um, That's good. We embrace those as propositional truths. But the idea that he would do those things today is another thing. I think if, if we can leave it in the pages of history, we're comfortable. But then you try to put that in our world today, then suddenly it feels like we're very much out of control. Yeah, and I would say the, the greatest way to to deal with your own skepticism is to get around people who have actually have experiences, have a history with these things. Mm -hmm. um, and and that, that really is the, the defining element. I, I don't believe that people are skeptical of these things because of their experience. I think they're skeptical mm -hmm. of these things because of their lack of experience. Mm, that's good. Yeah. I was reading, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the Barna report. Mm -hmm. uh, they do specifically, um, they put out a, it was basically like an article, but more like a book or a pamphlet called Reviving Evangelism. And one of their key findings stated that uh, actually most non-Christians say that they might be more interested in Christianity if they had more evidence, whether it be scientific, physical, or anything like that. And secondly, if the faith had a better reputation. Uh, that was mostly coming from people who were probably hurt by the church uh, in some way, shape, or form, or when they were growing up uh, having some hard family life. Um, so if the faith had a better reputation, yeah, I was wondering what were your perspectives on that? Not necessarily specifically like evangelizing, um, like do you share scientific evidence? Like, Hey, God has to exist or maybe go the, uh, the other route where, Hey, let me show you that God exists. I think people say that. So the Barn Institute, they do a good job when it comes mm -hmm. to, to finding out people's reasoning. But when it comes to scientific evidence, I'm sorry, apologetics does not yeah. does not uh, win people over like it used to in my parents' generation. Mm. Um, it just doesn't. Uh, you can provide people with all of the apologetics that they're asking for, but most of the time they're still not going to believe. And mm -hmm. so I would actually say that the experience of God is the predominant uh, um well, so here's a great example of this. Let, let me just yeah. back up here for a second. You're talking about two different brained approaches mm -hmm. for yeah. 
winning the loss. One of them is a left brain approach, mm-hmm. which is, let me give you the facts and then you make a decision. <laughs> yeah. The other is a right brain approach. Mm. And the right brain approach is largely what is lost in the Western mm-hmm. world. Uh, right brain means uh, experience. Your brain it, it moves on a subconscious level through images six times faster than a word. Mm-hmm. Wow. So your experience of God is going to always speak so much louder than getting information about God and then coming to some sort of logical, deductive mm-hmm. conclusion. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I think in post-modernity in particular, where they see truth as relative, giving apologetics mm-hmm. is just not going to do it. Not anymore. Um, they, yeah. Yeah, it's really not. Uh, the way that people are going to embrace Christ is when they meet him. They have an mm-hmm. encounter with him. I'll give you an example. I had a, a young millennial. We used to do ski trips for the church I used to work for. We'd take these kids out. We'd have all kinds of fun, go skiing for three days, have funny skits mm-hmm. at night and meetings. We'd present the gospel and a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much like what I used to do with the Young Life Days. But the difference is, is now I have the gifts of the Spirit at my disposal as tools for evangelism. There was this gum, young guy named Alex. He was a junior in high school. Uh, he, on the first day on the slopes, he falls down and dislocates his shoulder. Hmm. So it goes to, they have to, you know, bring him down in one of those little, I don't know, ski I don't know, cases. Oh, I don't yeah, know what you yeah. call it. And they get him down the mountain, take him to a physician and basically, yeah, you, you dislocated it, put it back into place and set it. And you, you know, you're probably going to be a little bit of recovery time. And so that's what he does. And I mean, the guy can't move his arm, you know? So the next morning I think, well, let's go pray for him. Hmm. So he, we knock on his hotel door and he lets us in. It's just, I said, Hey man, heard about what happened. Uh, just wanted to come and, and pray for you if that's all right. And he's like, yeah, sure. No, he doesn't know what that looks like. And so when I say pray for him, he's like, okay, cool. Well, I'll see you later. Uh, and I'm like, no, no, I, I mean, I want to lay hands like on right your shoulder like right and pray for you yeah. right here and now, which is again, this is not normal today in, in Christendom mm-hmm. in the West. Um, uh, but this actually is normal scripturally speaking. Yeah. Um, that that actually is the norm for those who are disciples of Jesus. They lay hands on the sick and see them recover. That's normative. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I, you know, I finally explained to him what that means. Like, I'm going to put my hand on your shoulder and I'm just going to ask Jesus to do a miracle. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. Very simple prayer. And I said, well, why don't you check it out? And he says, well, I, I can't move my arm at all. I said, yeah, but we just prayed. I said, why don't you check it out? And so he moves it just ever so slightly. And he's like, well, I, I can't move it. And, and yet he's moving it. Yeah. And so then he moves it again. He's like, I couldn't do this. Huh. And I said, yeah, of course. And he goes, no, no, you don't understand. I couldn't do this this morning. I couldn't do this. And I said, I understand that. But we prayed. And we asked Jesus to heal your shoulder. And so he lifts it all the way up. And he's like, he's just in shock. He doesn't know what to do with what's just happening. He can't make sense of it. He knew the pain he had before. He knew how Mm -hmm. difficult it was to move his arm. And now he's moving it freely without any kind of pain or any kind of impediment. And so I just said to him very simply, I said, would you like to give your, give your life to the person that just healed you? Hmm. And he said, yes, I haven't had to, I no no arguments, no, Let me give you some historical proof that Jesus was a real person, uh, that he really did rise from the dead. Uh, it was just, would you like to give your life to the person that just healed your shoulder? 
Mm-hmm. And he says, absolutely. I said, well, you can pray after me and I can, or you can pray it in your own words. And he's like, well, I'd like to pray it in my own words. Mm-hmm. And so I walked him through the sinner's prayer, right? Jesus, thank you that you died on a cross for me. Thank yeah. you that you died for my sins, the penalty that I deserved you took on. Um, mm-hmm. and, and thank you that, that forgiveness of sins is what I get because of what you've done on that cross. And thank you for new life through your mm-hmm. resurrection. I want to give you my life. And so that's what I said. Now here, this kid prays. He says, uh, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Uh, I have heard about what you've done for years and I've been ignoring you, but this is something I can no longer ignore. And I want to give you my life. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now that is amazing because that means he had propositional truth uh, through year, years of his history, but here yeah. a miracle gets gets uh, beyond propositional truth. His exact words were, I could no longer ignore this mm. and I want to give you my life. Um, that to me is where we're at. Um, propositional truths don't do the same for people as an actual experience with the spirit. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, this is Paul's method, right? I didn't come to you with yeah. persuasive speech, but rather with a demonstration of the spirit mm-hmm. so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom that comes from God, but on the power that comes from God. The wisdom that comes from man, but the power that comes from God. How can we as modern day churchgoers begin to operate in the gifts of the spirit to point people towards either in evangelism or just in modern day conversation towards the ultimate revelation of Jesus? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I think I think it, it starts with being in a community, a believing community that actually believes the mm-hmm. gifts for today. And not one that's passively approaching it, but rather one that is actively pursuing it. Mm-hmm. Um, where their their sort of their approach to church itself is Ephesians four, uh, sort of the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry and understanding that it's not just a special mm-hmm. special pastor who preaches the sermon every week, but that it's a church where their goal is to help people discover the gifts that God has already given them and to begin yeah. to use them in a way that's effective uh, that mitigates abuse. Because the nature of power is power is power. It, it's neither good nor bad. Um, it's how we use that power that determines whether it be productive or abusive. And so um, I think there's a lot of good resources online, a lot of great books. I mean, uh, Jack Deere's Surprised by the Power of the Spirit, I think is one of the best books that out that's out there. Uh, Sam Storms, I think he's written uh, a I mean, a vast number of books on the, the topic of the gifts of the spirit, uh, the mm-hmm. podcast that I'm a part of the remnant radio, you can find us on YouTube on, uh, on the mm-hmm. podcast app, uh, iTunes, um, Spotify. I think we've got a lot of great resources and teachings on there. And then I yeah. think getting people, uh, to do workshops in their churches that are literally geared towards helping them discover their gifts and begin to use them. And so, uh, uh, that's something I do. It's on my, my webpage, thomasministries.org. You can find a way to book me to do that. Um, and there's other guys out there that are even better at it than I am guys like Jack Deere <laughs> and Sam storms. And, um, that that's who I learned from. So, uh, I think those kind of things are, are, are incredibly valuable. Um, having somebody to, to do a weekly workshop or a weekend workshop where they're mm. talking about what the gifts are, biblically speaking, um, specifically mm-hmm. starting off with the idea of prophecy and hearing God, learning how to dis- to, to discern his voice and then act yeah. on his voice. Um, all of those things are hugely helpful. But the fact is, this is the way it works with any gift. Uh, if you want to become a great teacher of the scriptures, what should you do? Spend time with somebody yeah. who has a gift of teaching. Yeah. 
learn from them. Now, again, spending time with them is not going to guarantee that you have that gift. But if you do have that gift, uh, spending time with somebody who's a great teacher is going to make that gift far more effective. Hmm. And so I would say the same thing is true with prophecy, with healing. You want to pray for the sick, mm-hmm. get around people who pray for the, the sick and are quite effective at seeing people get healed. Uh, you want to grow in your ability to discern the voice of the Lord, hang out with people that have a history of, of learning uh, how God speaks and effectively mm-hmm. speak on his behalf. So those are all, that's super awesome. That's so good. So we know specifically when it comes to healing in a lot of charismatic circles, they, they will say that it is always God's will to heal. Mm. What would be not necessarily like your polemic against it, but what would you say to those who truly do believe that every single time in this moment, it is God's will to heal. And if you don't get healed, it's, it's actually my fault. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I have a lot of criticisms and I have a polemic, yeah. whether you ask for it or not. <laughs> I, I would say stuff like, really, then why is your hair getting gray? Why are you growing old? Why is your eyesight dimming as you get older? And, and why does your body seem to fail as you get older? Uh, why does Paul say outwardly we're wasting away? I mean, wasn't Paul the greatest example of a person with faith? But yet he says those words. Why did he leave Trophimus behind and Miletus sick? Because yeah. he couldn't heal him. Uh, why did he tell Timothy, take a little wine for your frequent stomach ailments? There's a number of, of scriptures that just don't speak to that. And so um, this idea that it's always God's will to heal, show me a scripture that explicitly states that. Mm. You won't find it. Now, there's those in the Pentecostal circles that will say that healing is in the atonement. And therefore, we're, that is that shows you what God's will is. And I agree. It is in the atonement. I wholeheartedly believe that Isaiah 53 speaks to Jesus's death on that cross as atoning and making us right with God. And by it, by those stripes, we actually are healed. I don't believe that what's promised is when we experience it. So is it God's will to heal us? Absolutely. Right here and now, not so sure. We're not told on which side of the resurrection we'll experience all the healing that Jesus purchased on that cross. Mm-hmm. Now, as a practitioner, uh, somebody who prays for the sick, believes in the gift of healing, I want to pray for and see as much of Jesus's resurrection power on this side of the resurrection, Mm. right? I want to see as much as I can. And so I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast. I'm going to do all those things that are normal spiritual disciplines for the believer uh, to participate in. But I also have a high view of God's sovereignty and, and realize like one day we will be healed. What side of that resurrection will experience it? I, I, I don't know, yeah. but I want to see as much as I can on this side. And I'm going to endeavor to pursue that as much as I can on this side. Uh, the same thing is true when it comes to sanctification. I'm not waiting to be resurrected before I put all the, the works of the flesh behind me. Mm. I want to continue to, to grow in purity and, and become more Christ-like and more loving uh, and, and, you know, put a, put behind my sin nature as much as I can on this side of the resurrection. But here's one thing I know that one day I'll see him just as he is and I'll be like him. Yeah. Uh, And I'm just waiting for that day, but, but here's the good news. And we all have this hope. Those of us who have this hope fixed in him, purify himself just as he is pure. So, So we're not waiting for the resurrection to become sinless but we are kind of waiting on the resurrection to become sinless. <laughs> it's true, We're not yeah. waiting on the resurrection to be healed, though we are waiting on the resurrection to be healed. It's, mm-hmm. it's a both and not one or the other. And, and we're just not told when. Mm. 
That's super good. So how can we be strategic, faithful, culturally savvy, but also biblically literate and biblically accurate when we're out evangelizing, even talking to people about gifts of the spirit? Because you don't want to walk up to someone and say, hey, I have this super, I have this word from God for you specifically. And then you're just completely off. Yeah. So how can how can we you know navigate so, that kind of area? Yeah, yeah. So savvy, I don't know. There's nothing about me that's savvy. <laughs> <laughs> Ask my wife. She's she's the savvy. Um, <laughs> uh, when it comes to so, so what you're talking about is orthopraxy, how best mm-hmm. to practice these gifts, and you're also saying it in regards to evangelism. Yeah. Um, and you're specifying prophecy. That'd be accurate. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't. So here's the funny thing. When it comes to prophecy, I found that, uh, or healing, uh, mm-hmm. that usually it's not the unbelievers that have a problem with us attempting prophecy or praying mm-hmm. for the sick. It's actually those who believe in Jesus, but don't believe he's doing much today. Wow. They're the ones who tend to be offended. Um, your average unbeliever is like, cool, let's try that out. Yeah, tell me. They're usually far more open than than wow. those believers who have that Western, you know, prove it to me mm. kind of per, uh, perspective. Um, but I also think it's really uh, a poor approach to mm. to go to the person and say, "Hey, I have a word of the Lord for you." Mm. Um, especially because I don't think, you know, when you're growing in this stuff and you're just learning to hear the voice of God, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think your track record is going to lend itself to 100% accuracy. Um, mm. I think it's far better to say, hey, I'm really learning how to grow in this and how to hear God's voice. And so if you wouldn't mind, can I tell you what I feel like God might have showed me and, and just hear from you? And maybe I can learn from this experience. That's a far more humble approach to it than, hey, I've got a word of the Lord or thus saith yeah. the Lord, especially as we're beginning. Look, <laughs> if you're calling down Lord. fire like Elijah, then by all means, thus saith the Lord. <laughs> but <laughs> if you're like me yeah. and just sort of, you know, beginning to learn these things, then I mm-hmm. would, I would approach it with a much more humble uh, approach of, hey, I'm learning how to grow in this. And uh, I feel like God showed me something. Can I share it with you? Uh, and I'll let you tell me whether or not that's God or not. <laughs> Um, and I think that fits in line with first Corinthians 14, where he says, Hey, let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. In other words, there's not this sort of uh, guarantee that what you're going to say is absolutely going to be from the Lord. If anything, what you say has to be weighed and considered. And I think, um, uh, you know, what, what Paul says to the Thessalonians is also pertinent, right? Yeah. First Thessalonians, I believe it's four where he says, Hey, uh, do not, or sorry, do not quench the spirit. Wow. How do we quench it? (laughs) By despising prophecy. Mm. Why would we despise prophecy? It's not like the gift is bad, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it's usually because of misuse and abuse. That's what would lead people to despise that gift. So then he even gives us an approach to guarantee that we don't quench the spirit and we don't despise. He says, hey, hold fast to what is good, abstain from what is evil. In other words, weigh what is said and what feels like the Lord in that, hold on to it. And then what isn't, just let it go. Dismiss it, which tells you on the receiving end how we're also to to weigh these things. Is that helpful? Yeah, no, that that is so great. That Yeah, I love that answer. That's so good. So how can we prevent from getting so caught up in the gifts that we leave out other important things in the Christian life? Because we know we can we can get super caught up in, oh, I, I'm, a, I'm a prophesier. I can go out and prophesy. But how does that not become like the, the utmost priority? Oh man, I love that question because in the very chapter that we tend to 
talk about the gifts. First Corinthians 12. If, if Paul hadn't, here's the, here's the truth. If there hadn't been major misuse and abuse of the gifts, then first Corinthians would have probably not been written or at least not mm. a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, it's that's what he was dealing with. He was dealing with a misprioritization, uh, an over spiritualization of certain gifts above mm. the others, uh, tongues in particular, right? It's like, you're really yeah. spiritual. If you speak in tongues and Paul's like, <laughs> no, you're not at all. Uh, tongues is the least of the gifts. And so he's got that whole chapter. He's like, Hey, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. And so thus we have first Corinthians chapter 12. And then he says, Hey, I don't want you to get puffed up and think that because you have a gift, you're something special, uh, or that the gifts are the end all be all right. Cause he actually, he goes into it. He says, you know what the end all be all first Corinthians 12 love. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he gives you the solution to all of these things. Um, mm-hmm. It, which is funny because when you hear First Corinthians thirteen read, most of us in the church we only hear it read when we go to a wedding. Ooh, that's and good. Yeah. The ironic part is that chapter literally has nothing to do with marriage, yeah. nothing to do with the <laughs> wedding. It is literally so. Chapter twelve of First Corinthians is about the gifts of the Spirit. Chapter fourteen mm-hmm. is about how we practice the, the gifts of the Spirit. So, what do you think chapter thirteen is going to be about? The gifts of the Spirit. It's got to I mean, be. Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, is, is, is Paul just completely ADHD or ADD where you no, just no, can't no. stay on the same topic? No, he's super linear. <laughs> no, uh, of course. Most got, rational, it has to be about marriage. Guys. It has to be. Right, right. It's talking about love. So, yeah, exactly. And he, he literally gives you the answer to it. He's like, hey, look, you if I speak with the tongues, not just of men, not just normal mm-hmm. tongues like Spanish or English or Portuguese, but if I yeah, speak with Greek, the tongues of angels. Yeah, yeah. Right. So he starts using, employing hyperbole, take the most extreme form, the most powerful form of any gift. And if you don't have love, just a loud noise. Uh, if I have a gift of faith, not just, you know, little assurance that God's about to do something, but a gift of faith so large that I can literally cause a mountain to be thrown into the sea, mm. but I don't have love worthless. If I give my body over to be burned. So now you're talking about like human sacrifice, like giving yourself up and martyrdom but it's done without love, that sacrifice, the greatest of all sacrifice means nothing. So yeah. the most extreme form of a gift without the spirit of love behind it is useless. Mm. And so that's kind of, I think, where we, we come to at the end of the day, yeah. the gifts of the spirit are not about the gifts. It's not about seeing something cool. It's about loving people with the power of God. Wow. And, and that's really let good. Me, wow. Let me flesh this out just a little bit further by saying, yeah. Uh, have you ever found yourself in a, a moment in time where somebody you you love is either either they got a fatal diagnosis, mm-hmm. uh, or mm-hmm. they've been they had a break, a relational break, and they're devastated? Yeah. Where you just you want so badly to help them, but you feel absolutely powerless to. There's nothing you can do to help mm-hmm. fix the situation. That's why we get we were given the gifts. It's mm-hmm. a way to love people with power that actually affects a change. Mm-hmm. A person's broken body. You feel so compassionate. I hate that you're going through this. I hate that you have this pain. I hate that you've give, been given this diagnosis. Here, I've got something that might help. Let's pray. Mm. Uh, hey, I'm so sorry you've been going through this. Let me pray and ask God if he has anything to say to give you great comfort. Mm. A word of knowledge, a, a prophecy, a uh, uh, yeah. word of wisdom. That's what that's for. It's a way to yeah. love people that affects a, a real change in their life. Mm, that's so good. Do you, do you believe that like today in modern times, there's a certain gift uh, that has been misused or even abused at times today and like today, even yesterday, last week? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like all the time. I think the the there's a lot of hyper charismatic movements out there that, mm. that, you know, I think an abuse is this. It's God's will to heal every time. 
I think that's an abuse because at the end of the day, what it does is it turns faith for healing into a work. Ooh. <laughs> and, you know, maybe you didn't fast enough. Maybe you didn't pray enough, yada, yada, yada. Um, I, I think that's an abuse. I, I don't think people mean to. I don't think they're trying to manipulate. But at the yeah. end of the day, what they're saying is this healing uh, that's, that, that should have taken place is something that's up to me or the person on the receiving end to manipulate God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at the end of the day, sometimes God is free to say no. He doesn't have to, to bend to our prayers, to our uh, fastings. Mm-hmm. He, at the end of the day, is sovereign. He's the one who says yes or no to something. And mm-hmm. so... I, I think it's an abuse and I think it actually causes people to fall into a works-based uh, mentality to get a healing. So I think there's that. I think prophecy, um, I, I think, well, look, every gift can be manipulated and, yeah, and abused. Uh, we see it all the time with the gifts of teaching, mm. right? Let me let me get up on the pulpit and I'm going to just shame my congregation, all the things that they're failing at and how they need mm. to do more. That's yeah. an abuse of the gift of teaching. The gift of teaching isn't meant to beat people up so that they'll now be more faithful because at the end of the day, mm. shame-based motivation, it works, but it doesn't work like falling in love with Jesus. Mm, that's good. A lover will outwork a worker any day. So you can abuse the gift of teaching. You can use the gift of teaching to manipulate a community to do what you want them to do. It may not even be mm. for God, right? I want to grow mm. my community yeah. and, and get a bigger tithe so I can get a bit of sa- bigger salary, right? So we can yeah. motivate people to evangelize. Yeah. That's entirely selfish and has nothing to do with the kingdom. Mm. We can abuse that gifts prolifically. Um, same thing is true with prophecy. You can use, uh, hey, I, I feel like God showed me something for you, but really it's just a way to get them to do what I want them to do. God's telling me you're supposed to give more to the church. God's mm. telling me if you give this gift, then he's going to mm. bless you tenfold. Like those, Ooh, those are good. abuses of gifts. And actually, I, I wouldn't even say those are the real gifts, but but you can see how this works. And I, I think there's um, people even have a genuine revelatory gift of the spirit, but can mm-hmm. use it to manipulate, um, mm-hmm. maybe manipulate people into sin. And maybe it's a demonic gift. Maybe it's a gift that the Lord gave. I don't really know where the source of it is, but, but you mm-hmm. can use supernatural power to get people to do what you want them to do. Um, I know of one prophet who is being confronted for homosexuality, for uh, grooming young men. Uh, and when he was confronted about it, he actually would use a revelatory gift to blame shift. Well, how wow. could you confront me about this? You were doing this the other day. The Lord showed me. Oh, no. I mean, that's super grievous, oh, no, right? Oh, yeah. Now, whether it's demonically sourced or Holy Spirit sourced, I don't really know. I don't, I don't understand mm-hmm. all that. But I just know that power does not determine character. Mm, um, then any gift can be abused. Yeah, absolutely. So specifically when it comes to tongues specifically and um, just translating tongues, what do you have to say about, because I, I don't know if I've ever met someone who's able to maybe accurate is accurately is the, is the right word for it, but uh, just to translate tongues into something that we can comprehend ourselves. Okay, so translate might not be the best word. Yeah. That implies that they know what you're saying because yeah. they know the language. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, uh, distinguish and yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, now I, I can tell you testimonies myself of being overseas mm-hmm. uh, and even locally where people have understood the words that were coming out of my mouth. I actually speak in tongues. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's yeah. a gift that God gives me. I don't understand what I'm saying, what I'm saying, the words I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um doesn't come from my head. I don't form it up here first. It comes from, mm-hmm. from inside me in a way that I can't really quite explain. Yeah. Um, but I've had, I've had numerous people understand, understand what I've said in fluent Portuguese. Wow. 
Um, many people who are Spanish speakers will understand some of the words that I say, but it's usually because they, because the languages are very similar. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's pretty amazing. And I would say that's more like translation. That's not a gift of interpretation operative. Um, and I would say this is an abuse in the charismatic church, this idea that you can sing in tongues and speak in tongues in a public setting where there might be unbelievers or people very uninformed about the gifts (sighs) without interpretation. That's actually mm-hmm. forbidden. We're told not to do that. Paul yeah. very clearly states that. And, and charismatics will often excuse Paul's, they have a way of dismissing Paul's admonition to not do it without an interpreter uh, by saying, well, they're speaking to God. It's prayer. Mm-hmm. What well, doesn't matter? It's still going to cause the same result. People are going to think you're crazy. Um, so in a church setting where you don't know everybody in the room, you need to have interpretation. And that is a gift of the spirit. Um, and so when that happens, I think, you know, uh, I, I've seen the gift operative. It's actually a gift my wife tends to operate in. Uh, wow. Not all the time, but there's been mm-hmm. multiple times where she's understood what's being said, whether it be me or somebody else speaking in tongues. That was actually her introduction to the gifts. She had a friend telling her that she, that her friend spoke in tongues. She's like, well, tongues, I want to do that. And so her friend prayed for her <laughs> to get that gift. And when she mm-hmm. did, she spoke in tongues. And my wife didn't get the gift of tongues, but she understood every word that this girl was saying. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a big shock to both of them. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I think it is a gift, uh, interpretation. I think it's one of the most mm-hmm. neglected gifts in charismatic Christianity today. And I think it, people are largely inf- uninformed about uh, those gifts in particular. Um, wow. Tongues and in, in much of charismatic Christianity has become sort of a, a merit badge of spirituality. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think there that's really actually bad to do. Um, speaking in tongues does not make your prayers more powerful. No, no. Yeah. Right. So what determines power and efficacy of prayer? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He hears the prayers yeah. of the proud from afar, but he's near to those who are contrite in spirit. Yeah. You want that's your true. prayers answered? Humility. Wow. That's so good. Yeah. Tongues are for edifying yourself, of course. So yeah, that's super, that, that's super, super good. Wow. So what was your moment when you were first introduced to the gifts of the spirit? Maybe even like specifically uh, speaking in tongues. Was it like almost like a light switch? Was it a prayer? Was it months and months of just trying to trying to do it and it wasn't coming out? Just random gibberish that you were just kind of repeating? What was it like? Yeah, that's a complicated question. Um, <laughs> that's good. You know, my I wasn't so my entry point wasn't tongues. My entry point mm-hmm. was I want to know if you're healing the sick today, because if so, that would really help with evangelism. Hmm. Uh, I mean, that was it. I, I was a young life guy. I had 3000 mm-hmm. kids at Bryan high school that I was looking at going, I want them to know you Lord. Mm. And so that was my entry point. Now, um, when it came to the gift of tongues, I was super skeptical of it. Mm-hmm. And I would say I, I prayed for that gift multiple times. I thought God was going to take over my tongue and just start wagging it about. Uh, I didn't realize that's not normally how it works. Uh, <laughs> that's fair. It's, yeah. it's not like, you're suddenly taken over by the spirit and you're in a, you know, spiritual frenzy. Uh, mm-hmm. Speaking in tongues to me is, is just as natural or sorry, it feels just as natural, natural as speaking English. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think there's a major misperception on that. It's like, we expect God to just take over our, take over our body. And the same mm-hmm. thing with, with prophecy, but that's actually a pagan way of looking at it. Um, mm-hmm. And in many of the pagan temples, they would go into uh, uh, fits before they could prophesy or speak in a language. And it was like yeah. their body was taken over by that, that demon God that they worshiped. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually not how the Holy Spirit does things. Uh, most of the mm-hmm. gifts feel very natural uh, mm-hmm. to where you're actually 
it's even easy to dismiss it as even being from God. And so when I speak in tongues, I think what happened was I probably got that gift a long time ago, but I just thought it was me making up words. Um, I thought I was just, yeah, I thought I was just gibberish. It wasn't until some time went by where it sort of took some, took a life of its own uh, in that I, I had not just a few phrases, but a whole language. Uh, and it's specifically having people understand what I said that gave me confidence. Oh, this really is the gift of tongues, which tells you that I was actually doubting it the entire time. I questioned the validity of it. And it wasn't until people were like, yeah, you said this, you talked about my, my brother and you said some things about stuff going on in his life. There's no way you could know that. Mm-hmm. Um, or yeah, I mean, the, the, just things like that had happened. I've got a number of stories like that, just not enough time to share all of them. Yeah. Wow. That is, that is so, so awesome. So yeah, well, I do want to wrap it up with one final sure. question. Uh, so that way, yeah, I know you got to get going and get some, get some steaks on the grill. So yeah, yeah, uh, that's, that's <laughs> so awesome. I'm a little jealous and I want a steak now. Um, <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit more about your local church here in uh, Denver. Uh, and if you could just share a little bit of information about when it is, what, what it's about and yeah, just your church up in Denver. If we want to go visit when, where, yeah. what is it like? Yeah. Um, so my church actually doesn't, uh, follow the normal church calendar. Uh, we meet on Tuesday nights. Uh, hey, sweet. You know, for me, it was kind of an easier way to to get this church off the ground. One, we're in Colorado. People want to go yeah. to the mountains. I want to take my family to the mountains on the weekends. Uh, you know, I want to just embrace all that Colorado has and still be faithful to Jesus. So we've, we've done a <laughs> Tuesday night meeting. It also, um, in the church planting, I, I did this very mm-hmm. organically. I didn't raise a lot of funding to launch this church. And so yeah. I relied on a lot of my weekend travels to speak at mm-hmm. other churches to have income for my family. And so... Uh, that was another reason for Tuesdays. Eventually, I think we'll probably move it to a Sunday and be okay. more traditional in that way. Uh, but yeah, we meet Tuesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. at a church called Hope Community Church. We meet in their basement. Um, oh, they've been super generous with us, uh, let us meet there for free for like a year, and then now they charge us a very low amount of rent. Wow, so super awesome. grateful to them uh, for that. And And our church doesn't look too different. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I know that I talk a lot about the gifts, but you were, you're not going to necessarily see all those things when you show up on a Tuesday night. Yeah. Um, although there are times when we've had some prophetic ministry and healing ministry that's been wildly effective and amazing. Um, but that's not always right. We want to follow yeah. the leading of the spirit. So, um, you know, we, we, I would say we're semi sacramental and that we have communion <laughs> every week that we make it a central part of our, our gathering oh, that, that we, yeah. this is something we're not to neglect. Um, we worship like mm. most churches do through song and through prayer. And then uh, we usually have a teaching and it's, it's usually not on the topical side. We like to go through books mm-hmm. of the Bible at a time. I just want to make sure that, that when I face God, I'm, I'm accountable for teaching yeah. <laughs> the entirety of the scriptures and not just yep. my personal pet, uh, uh, that's good, you know, values. And so that's been that. And then, um, and we have home groups that meet on Sunday nights. Um, those are more geared towards the gifts, training and the gifts, helping people discover what their gifts are and begin to use them. Um, yeah. So again, it's called reclamation church. Uh, the the website, I think it's reclamationdenver.com. Um, and then on the side, I've also got the, the equipping training and the gift stuff that I do. And and that website is thomasministries.org. So perfect. Wow. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thomasministries.org if you want to get more information about how you can get involved in the gifts of the Spirit. And that's so, so awesome. I love that. Yeah, of course. 
Of course. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for joining us today. And I guess until next time. Thanks so much for joining us on the Evangelion podcast, where we dive deep into the logistics, methods, hardships, but even more so the good, beautiful, and powerful side of evangelism here in America and around the globe. Catch you next time.